The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to it. Another week is upon us. It is uh, seven minutes after seven o'clock. Welcome to the show. Stan Fainzelberg is your guy tonight. You want to uh, call lines? Look at that. Already open, ready to go. 416-870-6400. You have employment concerns, maybe a severance thing. Maybe you're looking down a severance offer or you haven't been given your bonus or you've been temporarily laid off due to COVID-19. Anything. Bring it on. No topic is too simple or too silly or to be too bashful to call in. That's why you get some answers. It is a very important thing. It is where you spend upwards of eight hours or more a day, five days a week. That's a lot of your life until you're about 65, right, generally. So you want to make sure you get it right off the hop. Again, 416-870-6400. Stan is here to answer your questions. Email show. we got so much to get through, so I'm going to plow through a whole pile of these emails. But don't hesitate to call live here. And, uh, and interrupt us. The email address, by the way, is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Stan, my brother, how are you on a Monday? I'm doing great, John. How about yourself? Ready to uh, ready to uh, rock and roll, brother. What do you got for the other uh, week that was? Yeah, well, uh, I wanted to discuss something that just came out, actually, from the, from the Supreme Court. Uh, and something that's really, you know, sending kind of a lot of ripple effects throughout employment law generally. Uh, and and, it, and this is a decision that basically has to do with with people's compensation, John. I mean, everyone everyone basically knows that when you get let go, you're entitled to notice. But what does notice or payment in lieu of notice actually mean? I mean, mm-hmm. most people kind of understand. Yeah, you're going to get your wages, your salary. Uh, if you have an hourly rate, you'll get something, you know, in lieu of that. But what about all the other components that make up our compensation from our employers? You sure. know, uh, the benefits that we get. And the biggest one, really, is the bonus. And that's what this case was really all about. Um, This case was called Matthews and Ocean Nutrition. And basically what happened here, John, is that uh, a plaintiff started out in 1997 working for this company and moved his way up through the company to make it to the senior management level. And as you can imagine, I mean, moving your way up from that uh, to that level comes with its perks. And one of the big perks here uh, was a, a bonus structure that he was eligible to participate in. And so what this bonus structure said was essentially that if this company was ever sold, he would get a huge uh, bonus that would trigger right away upon the sale. So he he's working at this company, and unfortunately things kind of, whatever happens there uh, between his colleagues, Basically, the relationship sours, and he decides to leave and go to another company. A year later, John, this company is actually sold. And if he was still there, he would be entitled to a lot of money based on the bonus plan he had. Okay. So what he ends up doing is he decides to sue the company for constructive dismissal, saying that all the stuff that happened, the, the toxic work environment, he got the sense that they were trying to push him out because they knew this sale may have been in the works and he goes to trial and is successful at trial in proving to a court that he is that he was constructively dismissed based on certain reductions in his responsibilities certain uh, ostracization that he was feeling from management and he gets a notice period that encompasses the trigger date for the bonus and at trial he's awarded that bonus 
Wow. The company then actually appeals it to the Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal looks at the language of the bonus. And, this, and what the language said was that you have to be actively employed to be entitled to it. So looking at that, the court says that's a contract, and you were not actively employed on that date to trigger the bonus. So unfortunately, plaintiff, you don't get that money. And so whenever you generally have two kind of uh, opposite decisions like this, the Supreme Court will generally try to take a look at an issue this uh, with this many far-reaching implications. And that's exactly what it does here. It weighs in. And having considered everything, it goes back and agrees with the trial judge. Uh, and it really what it does is it lays out a very, very basic framework for how the court says we should look at any other type of compensation that a person gets and how we should treat it for the notice period. And really, it lays out just a very simple two-part test. Uh, the test essentially says that, number one, is this something that the employee would be entitled to if they had just been given notice? If, if the employer said to them, hey, you've got a year, two years of working notice, if they worked that time, would they get whatever the benefit is that's in question? And then secondly, we look at the contract or the, the terms that surround whatever this benefit is. And looking at those terms, it asks, does it displace an employee's common law entitlement to whatever that benefit or bonus is? And here, even though it's had used the language actively employed, the court said you can't, you know, if you had given this person notice, it's not like the employee gets to choose that notice. They don't get to choose whether they get paid out or get working notice. And right. if they had gotten the working notice, they would have gotten the bonus. So you can't just say you're, because you're not actively employed, because we as a company chose to frustrate your ability, essentially, to collect this bonus, you don't get it. And so they restored the trial judge's uh, initial award, gave, him, gave this guy his bonus, and uh, on top of which, it's laid out this very simple test when it comes to not just bonuses, but really all aspects of individuals' compensations and how to treat that moving forward, John. So this may set precedent for future cases if people are, uh, if people are paying attention, correct? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you in my uh, experience, companies are always – always loathe and arguing that they shouldn't give a person their bonus that you know half so many times you work half the year do you get you know are you entitled to the six months of bonus you worked are you entitled to the bonus during the notice period so many companies argue to me that uh well you're not entitled to that because we've only given you the bonus really to retain you as if you know we're doing you a favor just to make sure you stick around but what the supreme court essentially said here is that that's not true this is all part and parcel, a, a part of a person's compensation. A dollar is a dollar at the end of the day, John. And it doesn't matter if you call it a bonus or you call it salary, a person is entitled to it. 416-870-6400 is the number you want to use to call through, ask your question. Steve, thanks for standing by for a moment. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good, pal. What's uh, What's on your mind? Go ahead. Uh, just a quick question. Um, I'm in retail. I'm a commission salesperson. And uh, after the Ford announcement on Friday, uh, prior to his announcement, we were open to the public uh, by appointment only. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, my structure of pay is based on um, um, what we sell. We're paid commission on that. And what has happened is uh, a few of us are a little bit concerned now with the lockdown, meaning that the appointments, if you will, or foot traffic that actually is now entering the store is is far less, if not virtually nil. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because of this, obviously, this is going to affect the amount of pay that we receive. So, my question, to you, my question to you is: There, um, what is the employer's obligation? Um, I know that I brought this up, and uh, nothing was really told to us. Um, so it's kind of in limbo. I'm not quite sure. Although we're expected to to be there and put our shifts in and uh, report to work. Um, uh, I'm just not quite sure what happens there legally as far as our wages. Yeah. Well, are you saying you're 100% commission-based? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Okay. Because that does actually bring up a pretty uh, interesting question because, you know, as you know, nobody can make less than minimum wage. And so if you may, if you don't make a sale, does that essentially mean that your employer has to pay you minimum wage for that day or something akin to that? Uh, in terms of, you know, the loss of wages – in a situation kind of like this, where it really is being mandated by the government uh, and not really your, your employer's fault in any way, it's hard to argue that they have an obligation to kind of step in and fill that role. I mean, there is the wage earner subsidy program, which is something they can make use of, and I'll cover your percentage of your wages up to a certain percent. But beyond that, if they're not making sales and your commissions are entirely or sorry, your income is entirely commissions-based, then unfortunately, I mean, it fluctuates with the market just like their sales do. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, my commission average is somewhere in the neighborhood of close to $10,000 a month. And I, I know... I, sorry, so I understand that, but at the same time, the terms of your commission or the terms of your compensation is that you only get income if you sell something correct and in, this, in, in this particular instance it can't be argued let's say that it's a constructive dismissal because your wages have been decreased because the way, reason your wages have been decreased has actually nothing to do with employer uh, your employer if anything it's a frustration of contract because of a government shutdown and right, exactly regulations uh, unfortunately yeah. i don't think that the obligation necessarily falls on your employer here really eh yeah uh, I mean, there's. Uh, I don't see any way that you know they can be held liable for that, especially because really they they haven't changed. Keep in mind, they're not changing the terms of your employment. You're, the in terms of your employment are the same as they were before. You know, you're 100% commission based. It's just that the circumstances have changed. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, well, I was trying to figure out uh, what happens in a case like that. I mean, you know, you're reporting to work and you're expected to do your duties and and so on well, and so forth. Say, I, mean, I, I would say that if you were forced to report, it's not like they can't they can pay you nothing. You know, there we do have minimum wage laws in Ontario, and even if you are 100% commission based, usually there's some sort of draw or some other type of arrangement. And then the other potential avenue for you is to look have your employer look into the wage earners. To, uh, subsidy and ask them to sign up for that because that will cover up to 75% of your earnings, you know, at, up to a certain level of income. 
Right, right. Well, maybe, maybe uh, because this is so um, recent, maybe this is something that they're looking at and perhaps don't have a, an answer for us as of yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Steve, appreciate the phone call. If you want to carry on, you have any other questions for Stan, no problem. Here is that number. I'll give it to you as we uh, go to a break here, one 821 5900 one 821 help at employment We'll continue the Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show with Stan Feinzelberg. That is all coming up. Your phone calls, bring them on, 416-870-6400. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We are back indeed. Plenty of time. It is uh, 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. Call in with your questions. Stan Faisalberg is on the other side tonight doing all the heavy lifting, so feel free to call in and ask your questions. Would uh, love to get you on the show. Any other time, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That is a website. It's absolutely free. It's anonymous. A ton of employment law information there for you to peruse at your leisure. And if you want to reach out at that point, there is a contact button at the top right. If not, you can uh, close down your browser and nobody knows you were ever there, but you will be uh, the wiser. Albert, Albert, uh, rather, first email today. Quick one says, um, Stan, if my company relocates in a different city, am I obligated to relocate or can I refuse? Will I be entitled to any severance? So really, I would say, uh, John, it comes down to how far of a relocation we're talking about. Because it, your employer is allowed to move your the location of your employment within a, within reason, right? If we're talking about an extra 20 minutes potentially of commuting time, uh, very likely that's not going to be a constructive dismissal. However, if we're talking about moving anything, I would say over an hour, two hours each way, and certainly if you're talking about anything above that, uh, you're, that's when you're getting into the territory we can say now, now say that this, this term is so fundamental that you're adding such a owner, uh, onerous new par, uh, agreement to our relationship that I can treat that as a termination, that I can treat that as a constructive dismissal. So I would say, Albert, that it very much depends on what kind of distance we're talking about. And, and beyond that, I mean, the individual factors of, like, does someone drive or do they take public transit? How long have they worked at a certain location? At the end of the day, these are very individual analysis. But generally speaking, I, you know, anything above an hour, two hours each way, I would say you're getting into the constructive dismissal territory. Yeah, I guess it all depends. If you and I work at the same place and they move our, our business and you drive for half an hour and i got to take four buses, chances are it's going to be a lot tougher for me, thereby a lot easier for me to pull the trigger on a, a constructive dismissal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And giving you, you know, I can give you an example where I had a mediation last week and my client worked at uh, a single location for 31 mm-hmm. years. She was in her 60s. And this location was in Scarborough. And then they all of a sudden turned to her and say, hey, you know, we want you good now to go every day to Etobicoke in our Etobicoke location. And I mean, most people would look at that and say, well, Scarborough, Etobicoke, you know, maybe that's a half hour drive, 40 minute drive in the city. But she was in her 60s and she didn't drive on highways. And I looked at the Google Maps to see how long it would take her by via public transit. And it was two hours each way. 
And, and I don't think that there's anyone who's reasonably going to say if they were forced to move two hours uh, and spend two hours each way every day in commute, uh, commuting time that they would agree to that. You want to call in? you got plenty of time to talk to Stan. Do it. Do it. Grab a phone, 416-870-6400 is the way to do that. The email address we're using, of course, is help at employmentlawyer.ca. If you just go to employmentlawyer.ca, the website, that is a good place to search out links to our 30-minute television show of the uh, the same nature, Employment Law Show. You'll catch that on CTV and Global TV uh, as well. Alex is up next through the email says, does one and a half times pay for working on a statutory holiday only apply to hourly wages or other forms of pay as well, such as a salaried employee? Yeah, this is actually something I hear a lot because most people seem to think that if you're, you can only get time and a half and not even just for statutory holiday purposes, but also just generally for overtime purposes, if you are an hourly employee. And that's simply not true. Uh, if you're a salaried employee, you may, you know, there is a way to calculate your hourly rate, and you are absolutely entitled to time and a half if you're doing overtime, and if you're doing if you're working on statutory holidays. So, if you're a salaried employee, how do you figure out what that overtime would be? Well, it depends. Uh, often, contracts will lay out how many hours you're expected to work, right? So okay. it'll say 40 hours a week, you make you know $50,000 a year. You can figure out by dividing by the number of weeks, number of hours, what the hourly rate is. Sometimes nice. when contracts don't actually have an hourly rate uh, or the hours laid out, usually what I, I believe would be implied is that, that your salary is up to 44 hours a week because after 44 hours, that's when everybody gets overtime. So if you're not seeing an hourly rate, I would just divide it by the number of weeks, divide by 44 hours, figure out the hourly rate times one and a half. And again, I mean, it does. if you're working 46 hours a week, you're entitled to two hours of uh, time and a half, even if you are a salaried employee. Gotcha. Cool. You want to reach out, by the way, anytime to uh, to stand or remember the team when we're not doing the show. It's one 855 821 here and now, 416-870-6400. It's only, uh, what, 727 on a Monday night. you got lots of time to call in and ask your questions. In between that, the emails help at employmentlawyer.ca. Catherine, you're up next, says, I am currently on LTD, long-term disability, and I've been with my employer 20-plus years. I am 62 and if I remain on LTD until 65, would I still be entitled to a full to a full severance after LTD cuts me off? So I, I, Catherine's a bit confused here between kind of the obligations that her employer has to her and what the insurer has to her. Uh, here, you know, she's getting LTD from the insurer. Her employment with the employer is actually in suspense, in abeyance. Um, she's continuing to accrue years of employment. But at the same time, if she never returns, if at the age of 65 she gets cut off by the, by the insurer and her doctor still says, hey, you can't go back to work, unfortunately, at that point, you're not entitled to a severance. It's actually a frustration of contract. Well, I shouldn't say you're not entitled to a severance because actually our, uh, the government of Ontario has actually considered this situation and has written into the act that if you, there is frustration due to medical reasons specifically – then you get your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Uh, but any other situation where it's frustration, you're actually not entitled to, unfortunately, anything 
when it comes to either the act or the common law. Again, 416-870-6400, the number we uh, draw upon to get your wonderful calls on the air in that regard. Tommy, you are, uh, you're up next. Good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing well, guys. Thanks so much for your time. I've, I've got a question for you, and I apologize in advance. Great. It's a bit, bit convoluted and complicated, uh, which is why I'm reaching out to you. So um, <laughs> I'm a manager at a, at a research center at a university, and I've got uh, a staff member that um, we had to uh, not allow to continue working for a while because the hours that uh, he was logging by contract exceeded 40 hours a week. So this is as a staff member of a university. Um, Part of the issue is complicated by the fact that he's also a part-time professor at the undergraduate level. So what the university's HR told me was that, um, you know, he's exceeding 40 hours a week. And I'm just looking for general advice about how I might be able to assist my employee in navigating these HR hurdles. Because as you might imagine, uh, part-time professors, and I've been in this position before, make very, very little income. And to keep this particular uh, individual employed as a staff member at a research center, um, it, it basically doesn't make sense for him to be employed at all unless he's, you know, working 30, 40 hours a week. Okay. Yeah, and I'm guessing in your particular circumstances, there's also unions at play. Um, is your staff member or yourself unionized? As a part-time professor, yes. As a staff member on contract, no. Okay. And so what his contract provides him for uh, a flat fee or an hourly wait, rate? It's an so, hourly hourly rate. And um, I believe as a part-time professor, he has unionized support and is expected to work something like 20 or so hours a week. This is also further complicated by another uh, dynamic here, and it's just coming back to me now. I apologize I didn't mention this earlier. Um, he is also working as a postdoctoral researcher at another research center and they require him work something like a minimum 20 hours a week okay so uh, but what, what's the issue necessarily for from your perspective that he doesn't get enough hours for the the project for the contract or he's exceeding too many hours between the three jobs in order for this particular individual to develop professionally um, yeah. he is primarily interested in two out of three jobs. One of them is to continue working in the capacity as a staff member at the research center that I'm at, and also to continue teaching part-time, whereas the postdoctoral position isn't as conducive to him becoming a full-time professor later. So um, we're trying to get him onboarded again (laughs) for full-time hours at our research center, but uh, we're having a lot of difficulty convincing human resources that uh, he should be able to hold a part-time teaching position and also be a staff member at our center. Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything that prevents him that I can think of legally speaking, unless there's something in the, you know, in the collective agreement with the union that could be creating a barrier. Um, because in essence, you you can have more than one job if you want. Uh, as long, Really, it sounds like if there's, you know, it may be a budget issue with their ability to pay him for all these various roles. Um, otherwise, I can't see a, you know any particular legal barrier that would prohibit him from working in all three, unless there's, of course, a conflict between those jobs, unless he would be in conflict by working one with, to, with, when it comes to his interest to another. Um, otherwise, I mean, it may just be a matter of budgetary concerns from the university's perspective. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I, I, we did try appealing to um, language within the collective bargaining agreement, and to be honest with you, it wasn't extremely helpful. Um, we found in other situations that mm-hmm. other university CBA is a lot more detailed and a lot more insightful, but this one is perhaps a little bit underdeveloped. But you know, maybe it's worth revisiting it with him and HR to see if we can we can mitigate the matter further. Well, yeah, and the other thing, I mean, if, if there is a uh, constraint from a collective bargaining agreement perspective, I mean, the best person to talk to would be the steward, union stewards uh, to see what the issue is. I mean, because they're really the ones who should be advocating on his behalf here uh, as as the union member. I mean, if he if he has a grievance, the union is the one that's and is the only one technically that can actually move forward with the grievance itself. I, I suspect that they're so inundated with issues like this that um, they haven't really been able to uh, give us a lot of clairvoyance. But um, I, I see two potential avenues here for proceeding, and uh, I really appreciate your time and feedback on this. He's an exceptionally well-valued employee, and it's really important to us that we get him back on board. So thank you very much for your insight. Yeah, well, I hope it works out. I mean, if you want any other uh, help on this, you know, just give us a call at the office, and I'll be happy to have another conversation. Tommy, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for the call. Of course, you want to carry on further and uh, talk to Stan at a later date, you can do so here. Uh, here's how you do it. one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Still got some time here, plenty of it. Bring on some calls just like that, 416-870-6400. Right there is the number, 416-870-6400. We want to get to Robert's email in between. says, uh, guys, I was terminated after 12 years of service. It was a technical role, and I'm in my 40s. I was offered 25 weeks severance. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, it sounds a little bit light, John, from what he's kind of mentioned in terms of his age and the years with the company. Uh, Really, you know, it'd be hard to know exactly what's fair here based on not really knowing what his position is other than it's a technical role. But... Just generally, I would say a guy with those kind of factors probably falls somewhere in the 8- to 12-month range, depending on what the actual position is and, and his actual age, if it's low 40s or late 40s. 416-870-6400. Let's move on to another call. Uh, Krishana, how are you? Good evening. Hi. Um, I was wondering um, if I got a case here concerning... Uh, I was working as a, as a contractor in an old age home, mm-hmm. and they let me go. They let me go um, January first without no notice or anything. I don't know if that's good. Maybe it's good because the, and COVID kicking after January, so I couldn't have done nothing. Okay. Until now, so I was wondering if if that was wrongful dismissal. Although I was a contractor. Yeah. Well, tell me. You know. It, as a contractor, did you work anywhere else? Yes, sir. So you had other employers. I mean, how many days a week would you say that you worked at this particular uh, company? 26, yeah. 26 hours. I'm 66 days of age, sir. So you worked there 26 hours and you worked somewhere else 14 hours a week or so? No, I, I, I'm a 66 age of I'm working. I worked there nine years. Now I'm in the age of 66. Where you said you worked in more than one place, though. So how many hours between the no, two? No, that, was, that was my trade. That was my trade before. Ah, no, I mean during the nine years that you worked with this company as a contractor, did you work anywhere else during those nine years? No, sir. No. 
No, so you worked exclusively for this company. And did you have a a set weekly schedule? Yes, um, weekends in the night from from 11 to 7, like a really, really hard shift. Mm -hmm. Like like the shift. Yeah. yeah. Well, realistic. One year, one, one year ago, this happened. I, I never did nothing. I don't know where I'm well, going with this. So. I mean, realistically, uh, based on what you're telling me, I would say you're probably an employee or at a minimum a dependent contractor. And, uh, and you are probably entitled to severance based on the fact that you fall in the, into that criteria. I don't think that you'd fall. It doesn't sound to me like you're an independent contractor. And even if this happened a year ago, uh, that's you still actually have time to pursue your rights because in Ontario you have two years before yeah. uh, to file a lawsuit before you you run out of time. So uh, why don't you give us a call at the office and they'll set you up to speak to a lawyer who can go through the details of your case w- uh, in more depth and see what we can do for you. And I'll give you that number, Krishana. Now that you're uh, you're done for the call, appreciate your time. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's get back to our uh, our emails here. Bob is up next. Bob says uh, my employer gave me a month of working notice. I have an interview in Halliburton, and she denied my request for time off for an interview. Is that allowed? Well, I mean that's certainly unfair. Uh, at a minimum, you would. Uh... I think that would be something you would treat your former employees in these situations with a little more respect. Um, but beyond being unfair, I mean, I would also say that it's actually a, a reason that allows you to leave the job and stop the working notice. Because, again, the, the entire concept, really, of notice in general is to give an, empl- uh, an employee or former employee some soft cushioning while they go out and try to find another job while they still have income coming in. And so if, if an employer chooses to give working notice to have the person work out their notice period, then at the same time, they have to give them a reasonable opportunity to go and try to find another job, including attending an interview, if it happens to fall during their workout. And by refusing to do so, that's actually a reason enough to to consider walking away from the working notice and not having it wow. constitute a resignation because it's actually the employer who is the one who's breaking the, the terms of the relationship, one of which is that you give a person on working notice a reasonable opportunity to try to go and find a new job. Yeah, I never even considered that about working notice. I just assumed it was just another way of, of you know, getting rid of a cash settlement or cash as far as uh, severance is concerned, making them work out their severance. And I mean that by work out, like be on the job for the remainder of the time allotted. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you had to allow a certain amount of time for for that employee to go out and seek new employment. But I guess if you give them severance two weeks worth or two months or two years, whatever, I guess that time is also the same time they would have to be using to go out and get other employment. So I guess what you're saying makes total sense, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, yeah. you know, the thing you can mitigate kind of at work here. It's for both people, you know, both parties' benefits. Um, mm. It benefits the employer if that individual finds a new job. They may, And ultimately, I mean, that is the purpose of notice, to allow a person to try to land on their feet, to transition from one employer to the next. And so frustrating their ability to actually do that, you know, is very clearly, I mean, unfair. But beyond mm-hmm. being unfair... It is just defeating the purpose of notice itself. Right. 
James, I want to get your email. Uh, he writes in help at uh, employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. He says, guys have been off week for, uh, been off for a week with a cold. I told my employer yesterday that I feel good enough to return next week, and they told me that I would have to get a COVID-19 test showing I was negative or they could not let me come back to work. Do I have to go for that COVID test? You know, you know, John, this is a, one of those, I think, tricky situations where it, there really isn't any good answers. Because on mm-hmm. the one hand, I mean, right now, you know, you can, there's legislation that says you don't, an employer can't ask you for a medical note. And, and so you don't have to provide them with one uh, in, in circumstances that if you want to return. But at the same time, and I mean, if you've been off sick for three days with symptoms that could possibly be linked to COVID, it, it, how can the employer in these circumstances allow you to return without being pretty certain that you are not that you are not infected, that you're not going to infect the rest of the workplace? They have an obligation to their other employees as well. And, and I would say in this particular instance, you know, it's probably okay for your employer to consider to say to you, hey, you know, you have to produce a negative test before we can let you back because otherwise we might be creating a, uh, a toxic workplace for other employees essentially and we, we'd be basically shirking our responsibilities to them. And I think between the two, especially in the context of a pandemic here, you know, asking an employee to get a COVID test is probably okay. Alexis uh, has an email. I've never heard this before. It says the Ontario government website says I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Is that true? I've never read that before. Well, and it's it's something that people get confused a lot with, John. I mean, so okay. severance is one of those terms that means something very specific, and yet we use it very interchangeably. Uh, and when we say it means something specific, we you know we mean under the Employment Standards Act. If you've been with a company for five years and they have a payroll of over $2.5 million, then you get a week for every year of additional severance. And then we, it also means, and we also use it very interchangeably with things like notice or payments in lieu of notice or wrongful dismissal damages or common law damages. All of these things tend to mean the same thing, except when on a government website, that's probably describing what severance is under the act. And so that's why we always caution people that, you know, don't, if you're talking to the ministry, do not listen to the Ministry of Labor when it mm-hmm. comes to your rights and entitlements. They can only tell you what your rights and entitlements are under the Employment Standards Act. Right. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll only tell you, yeah, a week per year. And if, pay, if your company has a payroll of less than $2.5 million, You've been there for 40 years. You're not getting more than eight weeks, no matter what. And that's mm-hmm. simply not true. That's not how the law works in this situation. And that's why we encourage people to, to call us and have a free consultation so that they can find out what their real rights and talents are. Jason, last call for the night. You got a minute. What's on your mind? So I like I lost my job because of the pandemic and everything. So what I started doing was started driving Uber just to make ends meet. Now, my question is, is with this new rent relief program that's rolled out, can I does my apartment where I live, because technically, I guess I'm a business owner. Can I write that off with this rent relief program? I think you'd have to talk to a creative accountant uh, more so than employment lawyer about something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, I don't think that probably falls within my purview. 
you know, it's a creative argument. I, I applaud it. Uh, I would talk to an accountant before doing anything. Jason, appreciate that's the way they're going to wrap it up for tonight. You want to reach out to Stan now that we are done? Don't hesitate. Just ask a question. It's simple. Don't sit there in the dark for sure. one 821 5900 The number, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you also have pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That is like having a lawyer with you at all times on your smartphone or your tablet or your desktop. Tons of information on there. Contact as well and the severance pay calculator all wrapped up into the pocketemploymentlawyer.ca website. We'll catch you again. Myself and Stan Fanselberg on the next show, Employment Law Show, right here on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.